is another episode of the Listening Podcast. We are coming at you in month four or five of the pandemic, yeah. uh, of the lockdown. Uh, Jake, how are you feeling? Um, you know, just like, I think a little numb and kind of used to it, honestly, which is maybe the scariest mm-hmm. part. But but here we are. We're doing our thing. Um, at this point, we're in a good rhythm with these uh, remote podcasts. Right? I think we're... You know, if, if anything, this the quarantine has forced us to figure this out. And I think we do it okay. You know, I think it's at a quality that's, like, acceptable for our audience. Yeah, it's the equivalent of when an actual professional podcaster does an interview with someone and they're just on, like, a normal phone calling in. Exactly. And, like, their voice isn't as clear. But, you know, there's a charm to it. That's kind of what all of our podcasts are like now. It's just, like phone level quality being recorded um so i hope it sounds okay for everyone but you got to do what you got to do it's kind of what america's like right now it's like yeah it's you know we're scared <laughs> but, but we still have all the same comforts you know in in dude i know different ways I, I i've been i've been thinking about that and uh big shout out to my parents they they came by uh yesterday uh, it was a belated birthday get together for my dad we just did kind of like a social distance uh, thing outside on my patio um and it's so funny to be like yes we live in the richest country in the world we do have all of these comforts and but we have to take these precautions and you know there's actually all this stuff that's going wrong but we can still sit around and like have a glass of wine and celebrate a birthday but it's sort of like yeah but you know, your, your face mask is, is right on the table there. So um, right. it it's, is, a little it's a little different. eerie. It's a little weird. Uh, no, it's very, very weird. It's, you know, but still, um, the podcast continues, though. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I mean, we got to live our life, you know. Um, and so we will. We will. And we're going to start with the, this news, Sean, about, about Kanye West. What do we have on Kanye? This has been a troubling uh, – yeah. well, Another troubling series of events on top of what has been really a few troubling years. It really has been, and and this past week is no exception. Um, I I mentioned to you in the pre-show, after-show, very briefly, that this Kanye West uh, de-evolution is is kind of mirroring the Trump years and the uh, degradation of America. It's just, it's so representative um but it's sad it's incredibly sad and this past week he um went on another kind of twitter rant binge i don't even know what um but in in tweets that he has since deleted he was talking about how he's been trying to divorce kim uh ever since she met up with meek mill at the waldorf historia hotel to talk about quote police reform quote so he's he's basically implying like kim cheated on me with meek mill under the guise of talking about like prison reform um i'm trying to divorce her in the same tweet he goes this is my last tweet of the night chris jong-un as in like kim jong-un as in like he is comparing chris jenner to kim (laughs) jong-un um (laughs) he was like new new album out on friday <laughs> so i saw so, some of um, these i never saw it's i lot. never saw those tweets that were deleted eventually so that's interesting context yeah. that i didn't totally have um 
and I saw a number of people tweeting today stuff to the effect of, and I agree with this, where people are like, don't, you know, laugh at this. Don't make fun of this because, like, he's clear, clearly going through, and we've talked about this yeah. time and time again on the podcast over the last few years. Like, he is going through a mental breakdown. He has clear signs of serious mental illness um, that have gone unchecked. I know, and I don't think his support system is really helping him. Um, you had Kim Kardashian come out today with a statement about how we need to kind of like be be gentler with Kanye and not poke fun at him. And, you know, he's dealing with this illness and we should like handle it with grace and, and understanding. Um, even that feels performative though. Like that's the thing that doesn't feel helpful or um, genuine in any way. Um, I think he has a bunch of enablers and people around him who maybe don't actually have his best interest at heart. And it's really, really sad. And one thing that was good that came out of this is I, I saw a video where Dave Chappelle went to went out to Wyoming or wherever this ranch is where he's holed up working on this yeah. album uh, just, just to go check on him. And, and Kanye posted a video of, of Dave there with him and, they seemed the, okay. They seemed good, but the video, you know, I, the video itself was definitely a little awkward. Did you watch it? Yeah, dude. He was like, "Tell us a joke," and, and Dave and, was like, ah, "I'm not good yeah, at." Like, I, I, all, all comedians love being told, "Hey, say something funny, funny guy," and he yeah. was like, "Nah, man. Like, I haven't even had my first cup of coffee yet." And he's like, "No, no, no, no. Like, keep recording. Like, we we need it. We need a joke right now." And he's just like, "Dude, come on." Yeah, I would feel so uncomfortable with that. It's like also, if you know Dave Chappelle, you know that that's not remotely the style of joke he tells. No, and it seemed like it was off from Kanye. It's like, dude, can you not like read the room? But well, like clearly he can't. And you would think someone creative who's in like a creative field like music w would understand that like you don't just do it on demand. And it's actually a really kind of demeaning thing to right. request. But I know. In any sense, the whole thing is, is upsetting. And I, I think that for anybody who knows people or has like been with people who have gone through serious mental illness, like, like I have in my life, like it, it, it's really actually hard to watch. I actually can't engage with it too much. I, it, it, it's really troubling in a way that like hits kind of close to home for me. I, I assume it does for a lot of people. And it's hard to kind of watch him go through this. Yeah, it's, um, I, I have really had to reassess my relationship with Kanye and how I consume Kanye and then consume Kanye news, because um, it does make me sad. I, I think it is difficult to see and engage with. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the news moves so fast now, too. We're, we're breezing past the fact that he held a, a rally in Charleston, South Carolina, for his now defunct uh, presidential bid, where he was talking about how Harriet Tubman didn't actually free slaves and like she just passed them off to different slave masters. Like, I get what he's trying to say, I think, but like that just comes across so poorly. I don't know if you saw any of the clips from that. I did. I, like, I that saw was maybe even more sad than anything because like people were just kind of there to like film him and like watch him like crash and burn and be this like thing to stare at and tweet about and sort of make fun of. And that, that kind of made me sick. It made me sick too. It made me really sad. And also I just, I don't understand his 
more recent commentary on race issues that have come out yeah. in the last few years, especially about slavery and about that whole era of our, of our country and like race relations in the U S um, they just are really tone deaf and they're, they're in this way that I, I get the sense that a lot of people in the black community feel like Kanye West is letting them down. I mean, that video uh, of Van Lathan at TMZ, like whatever, mm-hmm. three, four years mm-hmm. ago, whatever that was saying to him, like, Kanye, you, when you say this stuff like that, it, that's not okay. And like, we don't accept it. Right. And when you say slavery right. is a choice, like that's also coming through this lens of like all of your current privilege and wealth and like exactly. connections and your own specific once in a generation level of talent and insight. Like you must understand that like, I know that on that's really fucked up to say but he just doesn't seem to get it and like kind of can't I, I know i see things from I a common like point of view we've seen similar types of things where like these really successful rich celebrities they they get this platform um they have all these fans and I think they get a little bit removed from reality. Like you're kind of seeing it happen with uh, JK Rowling and some of the trans yeah. rights stuff that she's been yeah. going on about. Like it, it seems to me, she's sort of in this bubble. and doesn't understand like that. She's actually really hurting people. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's kind of the same with Kanye and look, I'm not trying to say, you know, they're dealing with the same issues, but I do think there's something to be said about having a platform being incredibly successful, having no one tell you no, and then kind of, you know, your perspective is really different than the average person. And you yeah. can say some stuff that comes across poorly. I think when you get to a certain level of fame and, and success, and, and to use your example of J.K. Rowling, both, both she and Kanye, I think, have in very, very different ways achieved, you know, astronomical levels of success in their given field, probably, you know, the heights of that field in, in this era. Um, and you, you do, you lose a perspective. And also I think pe- people in that situation, it seems like they forget to like kind of listen and learn and, and just assume that their yeah. opinion, because they tweet it out and they get 9 million likes or whatever the hell they kind of end up yep. having this assumption like, I'm right about this because so many people agree, but it's like, we know a lot. Exactly. That's not really the case. And I think you're like, well, I made my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. I wrote, you know, fucking half blood Prince. And you're like, I can't do any wrong. Like I'm, I'm a genius. I think there is an ego thing to it too, where it's like, especially with Kanye, especially with Kanye. Um, The final thing on this, Jake, he says a new album's coming out on Friday. Uh, it's called Donda, or, or, or you know, his mother's name is in it. Clearly, that has been a, a triggering thing for him, and has been. I, I'm sure that has not helped um, with the mental health issues that he's dealing with. Uh, let me two two questions. <laughs> the first one is, are we actually going to get it? We have to ask this every single time because we're still waiting on Yandi. Um, I'll, I'll, on I'll field that one now. I'll field okay, that yeah, one right gonna, off the bat. Are we going to get it? No. <laughs> Next question. Um, he, look, he did, he did tweet a track list. I saw a track list. I saw – it wasn't just song names. It was like actual like track lengths too. I saw I, files on like, a, on like a computer. I think there is a 
5% chance that we get this album on its, on its promised date. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think- be surprised if we get this like late, if we get it like on Saturday afternoon or something, but it, oh, it's oh. not going to be here Friday. We'll get it. Will we get it Friday? I, I think almost certainly no. Yeah, I would almost bet my life on it. Um, <laughs> the other question, Jake, is um, maybe it's just more of a thought for me, uh, but I'd be interested to, to hear, do you still think he's capable of putting out a really good album? What percentage of you is like, but what if this is a classic? I weirdly do think he's capable of it, but I don't think he is yet. I think he's not right now. I think it's going to be like, in the, it'll be like 10 years from now. It'll be like a Graceland situation. Mm. Um, like a later career, older Kanye, who maybe has like fixed up some of the things that have fucked his life up. Um, yeah. And has had chance to reflect, maybe did, doesn't put out anything for five, ten, five, six years. I think then, I really sort of doubt it with this. Personally, that's my, so, that's my initial I, thought. I really hope um, he is able to do that. I hope I hope he's able to kind of clean some things up and, and has this great kind of late career run, a la Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, all of these greats, all, all of these uh, icons. I, I hope it's the same way. I got to be honest, I don't I, – I think that is more us hoping that's going to happen than what is likely. I think yeah. it is more likely that he continues to – be destabilized and i could see this ending darkly and very very sadly yeah um, I, I mean really that's, hope that isn't the case but it doesn't look great right now no there's no doubt that that's that's one of the potential options right now and it's sad we all hope it doesn't happen but it what, what kills me from just a musical perspective and like being a fan of his some of his work having some of his albums be some of my favorites of all time is like the the importance of a Kanye West album coming out really has been almost totally devalued, you know, and that's it's a bummer. Mm. Ah, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I, I remember even when Yeezus and, and Pablo uh, were coming out, those felt like events. I mean, Kanye was able to command a Madison Square Garden listening party to the first iteration of Life of Pablo. That wasn't that long ago. No, that was four it wasn't. years ago, Jake. I know. Like, that it feels like a lifetime ago, um, but he was still like <laughs> to to use a, a a Bill Simmons term. He he was in his extended prime there. He still, was not not, at the, not quite at the peak of his powers, but like extended prime, and it, it fell off a cliff real quick. Yeah, it went from extended prime to a, a, like yeah, it getting ugly pretty quick to like the way a center declines on the court where you're just like, Oh, he just, just doesn't have it anymore to use another sim. Dude, he, he, he had a Roy Hibbert style kind of disappearance over the last four years where it went from like, Ooh, this, this guy, like he, he's something special. And to compare Kanye West to Roy Hibbert is uh, it, not fair to either of them. Weirdly. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he kind of fell off a cliff. Yeah. Um, anyways, sad stuff. Uh, the world is pretty sad right now, though, so I don't know what else we expect. Um, before we get into hot thoughts, Jake, I, I wanted to do a, a quick little discussion. It's kind of inside baseball about sort of music writing and the way music is covered and um, 
sort of like music writers. And I've noticed a trend lately over the past probably month or two where the newsletter is making a big comeback um, where, you know, it, a newsletter is basically just a blog and those are synonymous, but people are calling it a newsletter now because you're, they're trying to drive subscribers. Some people are trying to put their, their writing behind a paywall in some cases. But there's been quite a few music writers uh, that we follow on Twitter, Ian Cohen, Larry Fitzmorris, Jeremy Gordon, a lot of old pitchfork writers who were there kind of at the heyday, maybe like earlier 2000s up until maybe a couple years ago, or I, I, some of them might even still work there. I'm not sure. Um, but they are now starting their own personal blogs, basically, and they're writing about topics that are pretty niche and pretty specific to them and their life experiences, their professional experiences in writing in the music industry, um, the music that they're into, kind of looking back on like, you know, bands or artists that they really connected to early in their life and kind of what that means now. I, I think it was, it was either Jeremy Gordon or Larry Fitzmaurice who wrote, who did a really good essay about Japan droids and sort of like, you know, what does it mean to like that music now once you've gotten a little bit older? Um, and it's very yeah. masculine music, but, and it's all, it's all, all these essays are worth reading, especially if you follow these people on Twitter and you enjoy the music that they write about. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this new trend because more and more, it seems like the, the model of a music blog or a music website like Pitchfork or Stereo Gum, those are dying off at an alarming rate stereo gum literally had to just do like a fundraiser to stay alive um yeah, that yeah, everyone sad. should donate to and should buy the the covers compilation that a bunch of artists are donating songs to um I, I think they did hit their limit which is great but it seems like it is harder and harder to turn a profit with music websites and and covering music uh in the way that people could earlier on this century uh, it seems yeah. like things are moving more to like well if you like this writer follow their newsletter and subscribe directly to their newsletter rather than you read this website that covers a whole range of things and i yeah. wanted to get your thoughts on on this trend and if it is sustainable if you will engage with any of these new letter newsletters if if you'd be even willing to pay god forbid for writing on the internet. Um, I, I'm very interested in this. Yeah, I think it's potentially really interesting actually. And I think it could be this um, kind of interesting back to basics approach. And like, cause you have to assume that somebody who is engaging in doing this, you know, on their own, they're doing a newsletter for the passion of it. I would have to assume that the writing and the, the, the ideas behind the blogs or the newsletter entries are pretty interesting and actually like pretty thought through and maybe actually more compelling than the average album review or the al average piece Agreed. written on deadline or something and i haven't really dug into these too much but from the bits i've read i am i'm fascinated by it i'm really interested in it because um music writer culture is is a shared interest of ours and it's actually like it's kind of like it's like a sub bullet of this podcast in a way. It's like we it talk is. about the music, but like 
a subtopic has always been how music writers, the ones we most frequently bring up are Stephen Hyden and Ian Cohen. I think they're our favorites in, in yeah. various ways. Um, how they also respond to the music. And that probably shouldn't be a surprise. We're two people who were thoughtful, writerly kind of people who, you know, we're going to have similar kinds of opinions or at least thought processes around music. So I, I think it'd be really interesting. With, will I pay for it? I, that's a tough question because I don't think I'm as prolific or voracious a reader as you are. I also, mm. I'll need to find the right one. Like I would need to, I need to know yeah. something that I'll get some kind of value for. But at the same time, if it's, you know, if it's a reasonable fee or whatever to support a music yeah. writer, I would definitely consider doing it. So I don't know. That, I mean, that's interesting. And, and I, I, I agree with you in that we've always, there's a sub bullet of this podcast has always been this meta textual conversation about how music is discussed and covered. And I, we were joking before about how the, the enjoyment we get out of things in, in many ways is purely metatextual. I think having a podcast where you even do this is a, a, a representative of that. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like how one of my favorite podcasts now is The Press Box, where it's an analysis of journalism and how news is covered. Yes, they talk about the news, but it's through the lens of how it is covered, which I find fascinating. Which is, um, which I is like, we bring, at least I, I hope we do. Sometimes we bring a similar eye to music journalism. Um, I think some of that is uh, kind of limited to certain rock. Um, as far as subscribing or paying for any of this, I think it's really hard to make this scalable where music writing is now saved because music writers can start a newsletter and people will subscribe. Like, yeah, I think the Ian Cohen's or the Larry Fitzmorris or, or some of these bigger people who have, you know, tens of thousands of Twitter followers. Yeah. They could probably turn a, a nice little profit by, by writing some blogs, but I, I wouldn't subscribe to more than one or two. At yeah. most. I don't even know if I'll subscribe to any. And I, and I'm like their exact target audience. And I'm like, eh, I like reading them while they're free, but I don't know if I would pay a monthly subscription for this. So I don't know if this is like the, the savior of music writing online or, you know, blogs in general or, or what. I, I think this feels like a necessary stopgap to combat sort of the, um, the, the changing and shifting sands that exist around music publications. And more specifically, I think um, like, music websites and sort of like pub like websites that publish news about certain topics like it's becoming really hard to just have a website that exists where you post content like everything's yeah. aggregated on twitter and social media and like that's where most things happen now um it's not about i remember back in like even 10 years ago five years ago i remember there was a certain like list of websites that i would check every morning or every yep. day in sort of cycle through it'd be like pitchfork spin av club um you know stereo gum etc espn.com i don't go to any of those anymore like twitter has become that place where i go to to just see headlines and little wow. bite-sized pieces of information so i i don't know i don't think any of this is sustainable especially because people have like 
don't expect to have to pay for anything on the internet, especially when it comes to writing, especially when it comes to music. So I think uh, they're fighting an uphill battle, even though I think the writing is very good and I'm interested in it. I, I so I still check Pitchfork every morning, mostly to see if there's a new best new music. But that's it. And what I, I do too. Say, I think this could become an interesting alternative avenue to the podcast, where I think in 2015 or you know, you know five ten years ago, not even ten. But like people, the, the the alternative way to get your voice heard was to you know you'd start a podcast. I mean, Stephen Hyden did it, um, it and I think right. that now that's such a saturated market that it could be this kind of niche new way to be like, all right, well, here's a way for me to kind of get my voice heard on this thing, and I have yeah. I've built up some goodwill in the industry, and so yeah, I'm gonna like re- record my thoughts in this way and like. It could actually be for the people who do subscribe and who engage with it. It might actually be more rewarding than, you know, than the average, uh, you know. I, I, I think it will, article. actually. That's the thing. It's like the, the writing's really good and it's thoughtful and it's exploring topics that I'm interested in. And here's like the thing is you got to seek out and find the things that are interesting to you and it's going to be more and more niche. Um, but like what Ian Cohen was talking about. It was, he was sort of like, I want this to be a platform for me to sort of connect the emo world that I sort of was able to, to get into and maybe the indie rock world and be almost like this curator of like bringing to attention music that I think people who have a foot in both of those camps would like. And I really appreciate that because I think that is, that's us to a degree. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad that these guys are still like, look, I have a passion for this. I want to do this. There's, I, I think there's a desire for it. Um, so I'm going to go for it and do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe I will subscribe. Like, honestly, I can, I, I should, I should do it. Um, Ian Cohen would be I, I, just, I thought that was very interesting. I, think, I he, think if there's one I'm going to do, it's probably going to be his, honestly. If if he and uh, and Stephen Hyden started a podcast together, I'd listen to the shit out of that. Like I, I he is someone who I love hearing. Oh, I, I, I think he has a great speaking voice, and I, I always think the way he mm-hmm. talks through his points is really well done. Um, I so, yeah, always I, thought he was a better podcaster than Stephen Hyden, and it was Stephen Hyden's podcast. Yeah, no, that that's like honestly true. Stephen Hyden does a new podcast that's pretty good called Rivals. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that with Jordan Runtoff from People Magazine. Um, and it's, it's really good. I think he actually is like better at podcasting than he was back in those days. Um, I'm sure he is, yeah. And they, they have a good rapport together. Um, so yeah, I mean, worth, worth checking out just as another plug to someone we nice. you know, know. Nice. Cool. Um, yeah, let's dive into Hot Thoughts now, Jake. We had uh, a couple weeks since our last pod and um, there, there's been a slew of albums that have come out. I, I want to highlight two in particular and then just do quick hits on, on some of the other ones. The first, and, and we highlighted this in our release radar on our last episode, is this new Juliana Barwick album called Healing is a Miracle. Um, this got a best new music on our beloved Pitchfork. Um, I say that with all of the sincerity in the world. Um, but... Juliana Barwick is an artist who kind of specializes in like ambient, but I think it's a little more grand at times and a little more like beautiful than just typical ambient is. Yeah. Um, and 
she's put out a, a, a few albums already that I have loved um, and, and continue to go back to. But I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Jake, because this is a delicate, beautiful album that is sort of about rediscovering yourself and healing. And it's coming out at a time where we are doing anything but that. We are not in a beautiful, gentle time. We are not necessarily healing. We, we are very much broken and hurting right now. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, on an album like this that doesn't feel of this moment. Really, actually, like an interesting point I hadn't thought of. That's, that, that's really smart. And I, I don't, it's interesting because with albums like this, with ambient albums, it always ends up, I end up saying the same three things. And I don't really know that I have a great perspective on this album outside of what those things are. But I, I will say that to, to kind of piggyback on your point about the healing aspect of it is it could end up feeling like this prescient, possibly predictive vibe of like at, at some point in the future we're going to heal and that will feel like a miracle at that point. Like, you know what I mean? Like in that yeah. way, it might be actually. That's honestly, it's almost this reminder that like, yes, this is actually possible and it, it might suck right now, but right. it's a miracle and it can happen. And, and I think, you know, this, this was not um, in any way COVID related or pandemic related. Um, she wrote this album after going through, I, I think, a divorce um, and some tough times and, and she moved out to California. It's, it's like the classic, like, oh, I, I went to the West Coast to kind of like, find myself and, and like start fresh and and that's like what this album is which is kind of funny that it's that's such a trope but like people do that like so i kind of love that um yeah. but we're starting to see all these these albums that have come out this year that are like that weren't written specifically about the pandemic but we've, we've started to attach themes in our life now to maybe things that were written about back then like we'll, we'll talk about that proto martyr album in a second or, or in a little bit um but like i think that album does it but this one is almost a reminder to me that like hey yeah things are really hard and bleak and gross right now but like healing's possible it can be beautiful um there there can be like good things too and i, I really think especially for people like us who can be pretty pretty cynical yeah um it's important to remember that and it's actually funny to me how much we enjoy this type of music and how much i've actually been gravitating towards this album and music that sounds like this during the pandemic. Yeah, I, I've been gravitating toward it too. And but I, what's something I will say, and I'm not sure I could like put a fine point on this or explain it really well. But with this album, I do feel that on some level, there's like a kind of intensity to it mm -hmm. that goes beyond what I'm used to in most ambient albums. In that this feels yeah. like more active and definitely like intense is the word yes. that comes to mind but active is a great way to describe it and i've i've always felt that about juliana barwick there's always been something a little more there than typical ambient yeah in so much so that the other day i i started it in the morning one day and i was in a mood that was like a little less than cheery like i was like kind of <laughs> in my feelings a little bit and I actually had to stop it. I had to turn it off and just do something else where I was just like, this is not by, not, and that's no commentary on the quality of the music. It was just like, I kind of can't take this right now. I just like, yeah. it's like, yeah. it felt too intense, which is 
I think speaks to how effective this album is. And, and to your point, I mean, you're the real Barwick head, Sean. I mean, I, I like her stuff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I always have liked what I've heard from her, but you, you've, you've really taken to her catalog over the last few years. And yep. um, it's especially what Nepenthe, right? That album. Nepenthe is, is my favorite. Um, and I really like uh, Will that came out in 2016. Um, how's, how's this actually, her, her first album sanguine from 2007 is actually really good too um yeah. a lot of people love the magic place that one actually i, I haven't um been able to uh, kind of get into that one as much as as the last three uh but yeah I, her whole discography is incredibly strong how's this one stacking up for you so far i mean you're way too early take um, I think Nepenthe is still my favorite. Um, this is on the same level as like Will, I think, in okay. my opinion, which is very good. Um, she actually had that EP, uh, Circumstance Synth- Synthesis, mm-hmm. that came out last year that I had forgot about. That was also very good. Um, so, yeah, Nepenthe is still number one for me, but this is uh, high quality as well. Nice. So this other album, Jake, um, we we are nothing if not slaves to the Pitchfork Pitchfork Best New Music. Um, we got a new one just yesterday, actually, uh, called Dead, uh, or by by a band called Dead, called Flower of Devotion. Um, you know when you read a review on Pitchfork or or anywhere really it doesn't have to be Pitchfork. That's just our our blog du jour. Um, what, do you ever read the review and just be like, yep, this is going to be an album I really like? I, I'm even lazier than that. Sometimes I'll read the review, but for me, it's usually like I look at the album cover. I look at the artist's name, if it's one I don't recognize. I look at the genre and the blurb uh-huh. description and sometimes first paragraph uh-huh. and kind of okay. base it on that. I Okay, yes. I always do that too. And sometimes if those other signals didn't strike me. I don't read the review, but right. if all of those were like, huh, okay, it's this band, they're doing this thing. All right. I will then read the rest of the review. So I read this one and I was like, I think I'm really going to like this album. So I ended up popping it on last night for the first time. Um, I had mentioned earlier that, that my, my parents had just come to visit Um that is always a situation where there's going to be complex emotions that, that come about. Um, I think anytime anyone interacts with their parents, uh, especially as an adult, maybe. Um, and then you texted me as soon as I put this on yep. with a very specific piece of news. Yeah. And both of those two things, that, that piece of news you shared with me um, combined with hanging out with my parents that night, really gave me a heightened emotional response to this album. And I ended up having an incredibly positive experience with it and really, really liked it to the point where I think this, this could be an album that I like get really into. Yeah. And just, just to, to specify for listeners who are worried about me, nothing's wrong with, with me. The news was about, (laughs) it was about someone who we both used to know. um, And it was about a death related to that person, but we, uh, so I can see that. I can see why the emotions 
of that combined with listening to this for the first time really hit you. For me, it hit perfectly because I get some hints of, of dive on this, the, uh, the mm. band dive, um, with the kind of, sh- especially their first album, Ocean, with the, the kind of shimmery dream pop guitars on it. It, it reminds me of dive filtered through a slightly more punk lens. Um, and mm-hmm. I immediately was taken by this album it, it, right from the first track. I think Desire is one of the best songs on it. And there's really powerful Agreed. vocals on that song, yes. um, especially near the end where they're singing Desire. Like, I, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really, it's like there's a distinctive awesome. non copycat style of vocal. Like, I don't think, yep. like to me, they have a real voice going on in this band that's like interesting and different. And yeah, yeah I was immediately taken by it. I've already listened, I think, three times to this album, um, and I'm really enjoying yep. it. It's, it's a nice, you know, in the in the after show, we talk about Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg movie, and how. Yep. I mean, I can't speak for you, Sean, but I think we both had the experience where we maybe didn't, you know, we knew, hey, this is supposed to be good. I don't know totally what to expect but I'm going to throw it on and just see what happens. And that, and we both really like that movie. And that's similar to me with this album. And sometimes that's the most rewarding kind of listen where you're just like, yeah, this, you know what? Like I'm going to kind of take a leap of faith on this. Like everything that I'm yep. seeing about this album, like looks up my alley. And then for that to pay yeah. off is really, uh, really nice. I, I, I also equate it to what happened with the J Electronica album earlier this year, where I just kind of yeah. like, I was like, yeah, you know what? Sean says this is good. Like the the album cover looks neat. Like it just has cool song titles. Like I I bet I'm just gonna like this. And I and and, and to have that happen is really cool. I think you're spot on with the the dive comparison in in particular. And and if anyone any listeners, if you check out this album, you'll really get it on that second track, Loner. Um, there's like this guitar lick in there, or, or this sort of like solo thing that really reminds me of some of the stuff on like ocean or um or some of those other dive albums um but yeah you know i I texted you earlier um and i was like you know when you know you, you come across an album and it's just exactly your vibe and your style of music and you're able to just be like immediately like yep this is this is my thing i really like this absolutely some some albums take a little bit of work this one did not in any way shape or form because it's so like our thing um so i i understand that might not be the case for everyone but like this just really did it for me and i'm excited to keep listening to it honestly so am i this is a nice little surprise album for the year and i i I agree with you i think it's going to rank pretty high for me and um yeah it's one that's already resonated pretty strongly so same here look looking forward to continuing with it cool Let's do some quick hits, Jake. Not hot thoughts, quick hits. Quick hits. Um, there were a handful of other albums um, that came out over the last couple of weeks. All of them were actually pretty well received and reviewed. Um, I think we, I, I, I at least need to spend more time with some of these. Um, but, but I have a couple of thoughts. And I have a couple of things I want to share with you. The first one being this new Juice World album. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Juice World is... Uh, a rapper, kind of kind of sing sing rapper. Uh, the best way I would describe it, it's like this. It's like an overlap of like trap and like emo rap, sort of. Okay. Um, very very centered around drug use and like mental health issues and drug use as a result of those mental health issues. 
Um, Juice World ended up dying last year uh, at the age of 21 of a drug-related uh, complication. I think he, he I, I don't even know exactly what happened, but uh, he ended up passing, and this was the first posthumous release since his death. Um, it, it skyrocketed to number one. He has actually joined Drake and the Beatles as the only two artists, I think, to... It's something specific about like being number one on the Billboard charts that he joined that that rarefied air wow. with Drake and the Beatles, Juice World in the mix with them, and I have to say, most posthumous albums, especially from these very young rappers who maybe maybe died too early, um, I think are maybe sometimes cash grabs, and the quality is not always what you'd want it to be. I got to say, that is not the case on, on this album, Legends Never Die. There's some really catchy, good songs on here that rank among some of the best stuff that Juice World has ever done. Um, I ended up having a, a good experience listening to this over the weekend. Um, and a few of these songs are earworms. In particular, Hate the Other Side, where, where he talks about putting a beam on the glizzy which means he put a laser on his, on his Glock, Jake. Um, Glizzy has also taken uh, on a different meaning of, of hot dogs, I think, on, online. It's like a meme now that like yes. Glizzy is, is a hot dog. But so he, he's, he's mentioning Glizzy's. There's a song called Come and Go that is just like stupidly catchy. Then there's a song called uh, Wishing Well, um, where he it actually it's, it's very catchy. However, there's a heartbreaking line towards the end where he's just like, like, I, I really need the, I think I need these pills and like, I, I really think I need them. And like, I kind of, without oh. them, I wouldn't be here, but I'm like, they're going to kill me. And he's like, I, I just told you my secret. Like it's tearing me to pieces. I really think I need them. And just Whoa. knowing what ended up happening to him, that is a gut wrenching line actually. Um, he's like, I, I'll tell you I'm fine, but I'm lying. Like I, it's just it's very very sad actually and he had a ton of talent and i didn't quite realize that how prolific of a freestyler he was i guess he would just get in the booth and freestyle over a beat for like ever and it would all make sense it would all be catchy it would all be good he was really honestly kind of like this prolific like young really talented guy that just was dealing with a lot of stuff and and got caught up with drug use and and it took him too soon but I got to say, like, this, this album is pretty good, and I've been enjoying it. The story's very sad, but uh, it's worth listening to it if you've ever dabbled with juice in the past. That, that it's obviously, it is, it is really sad. Do you think that when he says, like, I need the pills, do you think he, that's in reference to, like, I need them to continue to fuel this creativity? I, I think it's both. I think it is I, – I do think there is an element of – my identity and my career um, are, is so caught up in this and all of my songs are about it. I, I don't know if I can continue to be this prolific artist if, if I'm not doing it. And I also think he is just literally in the throes of drug addiction where he's like, yeah. I cannot function without these because when I try to stop, you know, the depression or the anxiety or all this stuff is too much for me to handle. And I just, I need these to function. Um, That's and so brutal. I think both counts are true. 
um, it's it's incredibly sad. Yeah, that's really hard. I, I'm interested. I, I would recommend listening to that song in particular, "Wishing Well." That that's I think the best one on it. Um, and yeah, it's I think the whole thing's worth listening to, honestly. But yeah. for some people, an hour worth of of Juice World tracks is probably a little too much. But I think "Wishing Well," um, "Hate the Other Side," um, and and a couple of these other ones are very worth listening to. I have to say that I, I do think I'll check this one out because it, it, it does interest me. Something about the uh, Juice World does interest me above the kind of, well, I'm not sure in the wheat and chaff analogy, which is the <laughs> less remarkable stuff, but I'll say the chaff. You know what I mean? Like, it, I think he, it seems yeah. from what I've heard of Juice World stuff, it's a little above the average. So I, I'll probably it check is, this out. Um, he has a real knack for melody, I have to say. And um, I did end up making a playlist just called R.I.P. Juice with some of my favorite tracks on it. It's about 20 songs long. Nice. Um, but they're all really, really catchy. It's everything from his, um, his hook on No Bystanders from Astroworld um, and, and some of his other features all the way back to Lucid Dreams, his first massive hit from his first album. Um, so if you're interested in that, it is on my Spotify. You nice. can find it. Uh, I am a random assortment of numbers on Spotify. So you'll definitely find me. <laughs> I am too now, now that I'm <laughs> off Facebook. Yep. Yep. They are really the only downside of deleting Facebook. Um, yes. A couple of these other ones very quickly, Jake, that I, I, I was able to listen to. I think you were too. Yes. Um, I was. This new Margot Price album. Uh, that's how rumors get started. Um, it's kind of this uh, country pop rock crossover. Um, gave me some Fleetwood Mac vibes. I thought it was pretty good. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know how much I'll actually go back just because like, there's a lot of other good stuff to listen to right now. Um, and it just isn't totally my speed at the moment, but I did like it. And I did think it was, it was very good. I yeah. just don't know how much uh, I'm going to return. I've listened a couple times now. I, I enjoy it at a solid level. What's really tough for me now is this, this Casey Musgraves burnout, not on her music, but like this kind of like, it's like the Super Bowl hangover mm-hmm. where like mm-hmm. I had the ultimate experience in taking a chance on a country pop kind of album. And like, yeah. it, it ended up being one of my favorite albums ever, ever. And so like anytime an album like this comes out, I'm kind of like, oh, like who knows? Maybe like, we'll see. Could be right. Like, yeah, this is very solid. I, I it was the same with that. Uh, what's that? Um, about Casey Musgraves, actually, because I don't know if you saw the news. She recently divorced her husband, who she's been uh, married to for just just two years, I think. And I think I a lot of the yeah. songs on on um, Golden Hour on the name Golden right Hour on Golden Hour. Um, thank you. Were written about him. Um, and I just wonder, like, obviously that's not going to change how much you love that album because you have your own memories and experiences with it. But I, that's an interesting sort of footnote where it's like, well, actually, this relationship didn't last. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think that reminds me of, like, Stay Young, Go Dancing by Death Cab, you know? Where all those yeah. songs on that on that Codes and Keys record that were, like, seemed kind of inspired by the relationship with Zoe Deschanel. And it's like, hey, guess right. what? that didn't work i don't know that doesn't bother no. me i think that happens in so many right. relationships and it feels genuine in that album and those songs all are so good yeah. and the lyrics work on such general levels that i, I doubt that that yeah. will really affect it too much but it is an interesting wrinkle 
Yeah, yeah, it is. A um, couple other quick ones here. A couple rock albums uh, from the best. Um, they put out a new one called Jump Rope Gazers. They're an Australian rock band. I, I believe they're from Australia. And then Illuminati Hotties um, put out a new EP called Free IH. This is not the one you've been waiting for. Kind of a tongue-in-cheek nod to like, yeah, maybe this isn't like the album you were expecting from us, especially maybe based off their last one. Um, and I lumped these two bands together, Jake, because I think it was back in 2018, they both had put out albums. And I believe they also came out around the same time. And again, I remember listening to both those albums being like, yeah, these are both pretty good. And I've kind of always just associated these two bands together and lumped them together, even though, yeah, in 2018, the best put out Future Me Hates Me, Illuminati Hotties put out Kiss Your Frenemies. Like, honestly, I think maybe just a month apart. Um, yeah. No, my God, they literally put it out, I think, on the same day. That's so wow. weird. I, I Or like maybe a week, yeah, a week apart. Um, so I always associate these two bands. It's actually really weird that they both put out new albums, I think, on the same day or a week apart again. Um I kind of weirdly have a hard time separating them. Uh, I do like the bets a little bit more. I think Future Me Hates is legitimately really good. Shout out to uh, Quinn Callahan on Twitter. Um, you also are a fan of this album. And yes. You kind of reminded me big of that shout. the other day. A so great friend shout. of the pod. Um, a, a great friend of the pod. Big friend, friend of the pod. Big one friend of, of the pod. Yeah. Uh, one who you've really, you've, you've, you've stuck with you us. A real we one. appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I don't even have much to say. That that's basically my point about these artists is it's like this weird connection in my brain between the two of them, and yes. like they happen to put out albums in 2018 and 2020. I like the best more overall. I think okay. the Rope Gazers is good. I really like Future Me Hates Me. I think if you if you're looking for some like good kind of straight ahead like pop rock, check out the best. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh... I have that happens to me with albums too and with bands where I associate them together because I like heard their albums at the same time. It always happened to me with um with uh Passion Pit and Phoenix from because I just listened to those albums they put out in right. 2009 at the same time. Um, and they both start with P, that's how the how complex the human brain is. But yes. <laughs> I agree, I actually think this this best album is pretty good, and I didn't have a lot of exposure to either of these bands before. I've enjoyed the Beths album. I've listened twice, so I don't have much of a, a, an in-depth take yet, but I agree. I'm enjoying it on, it kind of f reminds me a little bit of like a Camp Cope vibe, but a little more melodic. Yeah. A lot more yep. melodic, like, and, and more interesting musically. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um, the Illuminati Hotties <laughs> album. Camp Cope, though. The, the Illuminati Hotties album uh, did not do it for me. I mean, I, I listened today, and it might have been the mood I was in, but it is just very frenetic and to my ear like anti-melodic they describe themselves as a pop band but it this felt very like i don't know like like super glitchy and kind of i'm sure it would be someone's aesthetic and someone would dig this but for me it was just like it was just too much i just i don't know i don't you know, know what about that's fair and i think it's a mood thing i i happened to my one and only listen to that i i was in maybe a better mood than it sounds like you were for it um and like I was listening, I think on a weekend, I think it was this past weekend, I was able to listen. So my mood was a little bit different. I was a little more open to what they were trying to do. Um, this has actually gotten a, a little bit of buzz from 
the Ian Cohen's of the world and, and maybe some of the other rock critics that we like. But I can totally understand if you're just like, yeah, I'm not feeling this right now. Yeah. Um, especially when there's some other stuff that, that we've been into. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think if, if you're interested, check it out. But it, it might be hit or miss. I mean, who knows? I may, I may well eat my words on that. You know, I, I, I don't want to be too uh too uh strident in my opinion yet so first listen didn't do it for me but hey we'll see what are you gonna do the last one i want to hit on jake is this new proto martyr album actually called ultimate success today um so proto martyr is a band who has they've been kind of on the on the margins for us like we're aware of them we listen to them um they they we i I remember we we listened to uh the agent intellect back in 2015 i think and i liked a few of the songs on there yeah um, i listened to that next one too i'm pretty sure relatives and descent you did okay i, I did not um, i think i did at but, least who knows what the fuck has happened over the last four years i know seriously this new one ultimate success today um it's been getting some good reviews checked it out i really liked it um j- just for for context the related bands on on their spotify get this jake ice age the men ought and preoccupations they're very much in that vein like you know that specific sort of style all of those bands yes have. yeah i i was that's gonna so, say that's so spot on i was gonna say that they remind me of if preoccupations had the lead singer from parquet courts oh my god that is so true i definitely got parquet courts vibes on this um so I mentioned briefly earlier too how there is a lot of music that's been coming out this year that was written pre-pandemic but has taken on a new meaning and you can kind of attach some of the lyrics to the moment that we're in right now. And I wanted to call out specifically this song Processed by the Boys. It's the second track and I think it's probably the best one on this album. I really like it. The first lines on this, get this Jake, when the ending comes, is it going to run at us like a wild-eyed animal, a foreign disease washed upon the beach. And it's just sort of this heavy, like, like, jam about, like, all of this, like, end-time shit. Um, yeah. I really recommend listening to this song in particular. Um, I like it a lot. It, it made it onto my 2020 best-of list. Um, I think the whole album is very good, but I just wanted to call that out. And that really struck me uh, the first time I heard it too. I think that single had come out earlier in the pandemic and I was like, Oh, this is prescient. Like, okay. Foreign disease washed up on the beach, beach, like something at the fucking Trump press conference. Seriously. But it's not, you know, it's not saying, you know, it's just, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I have to say, I, I enjoyed it more than I expected. Proto Martyr has always been a band that when I listen to their albums, I'm always like, yeah, I don't know. I get it what they're going for. It's just like somehow or other just right. totally resonate with me. Um, I'm going to go back to this one though. I, I liked a lot of specific little things I heard in the aesthetics of the songs and the yeah. way they were recorded and the kind of the instrumentation choices they made. So yeah, I'm going to go back to it. And that, that is a prescient cool. lyric for sure. It's a, it's a mood though. It's definitely a mood and it, it's not, I, I wouldn't. I don't know if it's as easy to to dive into as that Dead album is, but um, no, it's still very worth listening to. I would actually say uh, of these quick hits we just talked about, Proto Martyr and Juice World were my two uh, favorites out of all of those. I'll, I'll be going back to that. That best one's pretty good too, though. Right. Cool. Um, 
let's wrap up here because I actually don't I don't have anything for the release radar this week. I was looking through and there really wasn't anything of note that I that I was too interested in. Um, we're kind of in the the summer dog days and doldrums where shit starts to kind of wind down before um, the it peaks again towards the end of August and into September and October. Um, so nothing really on a, the release radar front, but I, I wanted to kind of do a, a hybrid recommendation of the week slash deep dive discussion on um, two bands that we love that we have decided to sort of rediscover this summer. Um, for me, it's the Rolling Stones. For you, it's the Clash. I am wearing my Clash t-shirt tonight in honor of of this discussion. Uh, but this has been a nice little uh, rediscovery for us of both these artists, I think, during a time where maybe comfort and familiarity is more important than ever. Yeah, first off, I want to apologize to any listener whose eardrums just got exploded from my dog barking. Um, she's out of the room now. That was Shout out, Ellie. She spooked big, me. She's a good girl. but Big, she's, friend, big friend of the dog. Big yes, friend, indeed. Big dog of the pod. I, I gotta say, I've had a big run with both of these bands. And so with The Clash, um, I we did this thing at work that would have been, Sean, it would have been so up your alley. It's not even funny. We did this like fantasy draft of bands. Oh like, my God. Like as just like a fun activity. The first time we did it was with vegetables. Like it, it, we some mm. every month or whatever, we have like an hour set aside to do like a fun activity. And we did this with bands. And I got to like the ninth, 10th round or something. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to scoop up the clash. Like that's an interesting vibe. Oh yeah. Oh man. Here. I probably would have taken them well before then. They, they would well, have been like a, a top five pick for your boy. Well, here's the thing is like, it was one of those situations where you have to know the people you're drafting against. I could have gone the true, rest of the draft true. without people taking the clash. Like they were not going to be Great on the point. radar. So I got them as a nice spoiler pick. And as a result, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to set aside some time to listen to Sandinista again. So I listened to that in its entirety over the past couple days because it is literally two and a half hours long. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I sent uh, you and big friend of the pod, Josh, um, a text saying basically like big shout to you both for having the, you know, uh, you know sort of a you know, wise beyond your years music taste of liking the clash, especially later clash, like back when we were in high school, as I recall. And, I, for some reason, like I always, I liked London Calling from the moment I heard it, but I never took the time right. to more into them. Um, and I, you know, I think Sandinista is a flawed but excellent album. Like, there's certainly like I don't yeah. need to listen to the dubs on side six very much. Right. You know. <laughs> right. Right. But, but that's sort that, of what makes it Sandinista, and that's what like makes it what it is. You kind of want all of that there, just in case you're ever like, "Yep, I'm doing it all." It's and it's it's similar in that respect to an album like All Things Must Pass by George Harrison, where it's like there's actually really only enough music for two and a half sides of records. But they're like, you know what? We live in a paradigm of music where you gotta fill both sides of the vinyl. So we're gonna fill side six with this kind of crazy shit. It's it's not bad, you know. It's not, but but there's songs I could go without. But I think it has you know, like upwards of 10 Clash songs that are among my favorite, like some of the best they ever did. Oh, my God. 
and, and there's songs that you don't normally hear about with the clash like you know london calling is an unimpeachable classic everyone knows that everyone knows those songs it's perfect then you have the early punk stuff that people are like oh yeah like white riot things like that um Janie jones yep then you know even combat rock has these these hits like should i stay or should i go and rock the caspa that a lot of people know sandinista is this true curiosity in between london calling and combat rock that gets glossed over even though it is such a creative achievement like you know you mentioned the the dub stuff that they put in there that really expanded my understanding of what music could be or like what experimental music was and then you pair that up with like these just seemingly straight ahead rock songs that have all sorts of pop cachet but are talking about like real world issues like i was joking with you and josh that washington bullets from this album which is one of my favorites really introduced me to the idea that like america has some fucked up foreign policies and like their imperialism is like hurting people and that wasn't something that i had really been introduced to in any other context before and the clash did that for me and sandinista did that for me and you know, as politically charged as all of their music is, Sandinista goes deep on a lot of class struggle and, you know, veterans being left behind in England post-World War One and post-World War Two, and, you know, like police uh, brutality and, and all of this stuff that we're still talking about now. And I, I think going back and listening to those songs on Sandinista with the 2020 lens, it, it just really shows what a special band they were, what a talent Joe Strummer was, uh, what a talent all those guys were. Um, but they're a really special band. That's a special album. So I'm glad you went back. They have, they have something that is really compelling to me now that I missed when I was younger is they have this like literary appetite for genre yeah. and for, yep. for like the subject matter in their songs and for like characters and stuff like they, they're, they're yes. really an interesting, very mature band that it doesn't come across when you're expecting the band that made Should I Stay or Should I Go? You know, it's just not what you think of when you're first getting into The Clash. And as a result, for me, there was always this kind of cognitive dissonance where I was like, I, I can't get a handle on what they're about. But now that I, I have a better understanding of how the depth that runs through their music and their catalog, it... Mm. I can see it becoming a, an increasingly rewarding thing. Am I going to listen to Sandinista in full many more times? Like, I don't know, but I, I definitely will listen to a ton of the songs on it. And there's so much interesting yeah. stuff happening there. Um, and I love the chemistry of Joe Strummer's voice and the way Mick Jones, Mick Jones, right? That's his name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The way his voice, which is actually like, maybe like on some technical level level better the way it the better voice yeah yeah it's like it's a little sweeter it's a little bit it, it, but but it's actually like perfect that joe strummer really is like the basically the lead guy because when you get a mick jones mm-hmm. song the feeling is like it sounds like joe strummer but just more melodic and with more pop sensibility <laughs> and so yes, it's like, well, these, these ones really explode off the Yes, you know, through through the headphones or through whatever you're listening through. So that really came across, and and I did a a re-listen to London Calling, which you know I feel like you you should do yearly, if not more often. I mean, it, it's just it's literally mm. perfect. It's quite literally 
it's yeah. maybe like the the epitome of a perfect album like there's not yeah there's nothing on it where i'm i'm not engaged or interested and you know um so yeah it's been really cool to kind of go back to them I, i'm looking forward to doing more of it nice yeah I, i'm glad I, i'm always glad when anyone listens to the clash um and then for me, one of the ones I've been able to go back to recently is the Rolling Stones. Um, I, I know we have talked before, maybe even a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we touched on this, but they are such a good summer band. Unbelievable. Such a good summer sound. You know, in particular, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street. There's something about those guitars. There's something about those riffs, the, the vocals that just feel like hot and like they're, they're like meant to be listened to in, in the summer heat. And they have this energy that just it radiates and, and it's electric, you know? And yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed, particularly like over this past weekend and, and I think even the weekend before, like getting through another another week, you know, on the treadmill and popping on sticky fingers on vinyl and just like cracking a beer and just, you know, being able to hear the brown sugar riff uh, in, oh. into Sway and, and all those other songs is just, it's special. And you brought up an interesting question to me. You, you said at this point in your life, which band do you like better, the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin? And, and back when we were in high school, it, that wasn't even close. It was Led Zeppelin. Um, but I was surprised at how quickly and how easily I responded with the Rolling Stones now. I, they've appreciated for me a, as an adult um, much more than Zeppelin has or much more than anyone outside of Dylan or the Beatles has from that era. Um, I, you know, I, I would have those three as like the, the pinnacle, but um, I, I thought that was a really interesting question how quickly I answered the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way because I think it has everything to do with getting a little older and with a little more maturity, the subtleties, the subtle beauty of the stones really comes out as you get a little bit older and I, and I, you know, I think that stretch of albums for me from beggars banquet through let it bleed through sicky fingers and exile on main street, they are, they epitomize summer music for me. Like they're, they're, they're mm. perfect albums. I think all of them in their own different ways. Um, and the vibe that I always find, I end up coming back to wanting and what get what sends me down this spiral every summer is I want, the guitars in songs like no expectations and dear doctor and yeah uh, um the uh, love in vain on on uh, yep. on let it bleed the songs where it's it's keith doing that just like attitude filled country <laughs> blues kind of style yep. guitar playing he has yep. his own he did a tuning where he would remove the low e string from his guitar altogether he would have five That's strings right guitar and he would tune it to an open g chord and he had he got such a tone out of that that was so specific to his playing style um and yeah. then it really comes into its like debauched perfection on sticky fingers yeah. and exile like it is just like yep. unbelievable the kind of grimy sweaty grooves mm -hmm. they get into on those those albums and you're right in that way it like totally perfectly fits summer um yeah the, and and I, I think in some ways, if it, Exile on Main Street is still, I think, the best Rolling Stones album. And it's probably yep. still my favorite. But I think Sticky Fingers is a more 
perfect album in a different way, in the way that you set out to make a an album that is two sides and that it is like slightly more concise um, yep. and that it just doesn't more have any more, more in your face hits. Yeah, there's and there's no exactly there are the big hits, the Wild Horses and the uh, and Brown yep. Sugar. And there, it just it really never relents from from being like kind of the perfect vision of what it is. Exile on Main Street is perfect for all the other reasons of like there's it's it's a kind of a lumps and all album which you love like right you know th- those songs make give that album the character that it has like I just want to see his face yeah 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 or Sweet Black yeah. Angel That's, or something like that oh, right 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 or, or Turd on the Run. Which um, I love. Yeah, I love those songs. I do, I do too, actually. I, I do too. But they're um, perfect Yeah, and I, I've grown to love all of those songs. Yeah, it, it's, you're right. I, I think that's a great point about Sticky Fingers. And one more thought on the tone. Um, you know, a song that I've actually gone back to a lot is um, Satisfaction. Oh, you know, yeah. It's, it's a cliche at this point, and it's a massive, massive song that everyone knows. But if you can try and hear that with fresh ears, and you can hear what, Mick is singing about with like this consumer culture and these ads telling him what he needs to do to, to be happy. We're still dealing with that today. And the tone that Keith gets in that riff, like doesn't make sense. It's unbelievable. He's able to do that. I still it sounds remember. like this horn, but it's a yeah. guitar. It's like, it's insane. I still remember when I first heard it and like, I just, and I remember talking to my dad about it and being like, are, are those horns on there? And like the, the kind of the shock I felt when he was like, no, that's a guitar was crazy. It, the, 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 I totally I agree. And you, with songs like that, I mean, that's in the category of like, you know, Hey Jude or Let It Be or like a Rolling Stone where it's like you really have to imagine, you know, that you're not, that you're listening for the first time for that to happen. But, but when you're able to channel that, it's really exciting. The Stones going through a stones phase is really rewarding because you get the yes that perfect stretch of four albums from the late 60s to early 70s but then you also get the unbelievable number of hits and singles they released it's an absolutely incredible right. amount and they're all cool in different ways because they changed a lot yeah yeah and you know i think you mentioned earlier like keith kind of leaning into this country blues sound yep i think for me as a kid I uh, or getting into them in high school I didn't really that didn't appeal to me as much I didn't nope. get what was good about that yet and you know we've been mentioning this I think over the past year at least maybe more as you get older there's something about like that more country twang that is really appealing like there's some Bob Dylan songs or there's some Neil Young or there's some stuff that leans a little more country that I have grown a real affinity towards as I've gotten older that just went over my head as a kid. And I think that's a big reason why I like the Stones more now than I ever have. Yeah, because there's a certain kind of uh, of contemplative maturity to it. There's a certain kind yeah. of like, it's not as in your face. It's not like a Zeppelin riff, which is just like, you know, you're going to like that the second you hear it. You know, I mean, if you hear the riff to Heartbreaker right. by Zeppelin, ye, there's no mistaking what that is. There's no, there's right. nothing lost on you on first listen. It, it is in your face. You know exactly what you're getting. 
with a song like it's awesome yeah it's great it's awesome you know it's it's diminishing returns after a while honestly with a song like you know no expectations or a song like uh moonlight mile or uh, yeah. you know any of the you know uh torn and frayed any of those yep. kind of like those like kind of more laid back like they're you know they're not pushing themselves on you but if you're here if you can fall into the groove and mm. kind of get taken by the beauty of the song there's something really rewarding about that yes yes and that's that's really what the stones have been speaking to uh lately for me uh sort of that groove sort of that like that dirty like heat you know and like that that's what i get out of the stones. It's, it's it, this electric energy and the fact that th- there's no band that really has ever sounded like them like at all like no. I, no. and actually it's interesting that we've been bringing up zeppelin so much because they're they're similar in a way where i feel like both the stones and zeppelin have their acolytes and they have bands who like I think Aerosmith is actually kind of the perfect example of a band that kind of takes from both those bands in equal measure, but doesn't really sound like either of them that much. Like there's yeah. tons of bands that drew influence from the Stones and from Zeppelin, but because of how singular Jimmy Page and Keith Richards are in their guitar styles and how singular Mick Jagger and Robert Plant are mm-hmm. as vocalists and how kind of like on impossible it is to do a true imitation of them without it just sounding like an imitation there really is no band that that does that thing that scratches that itch the same yeah. way you know what i mean like that's what's yeah. really hitting me especially with mixed voice it's like who sings how do you decide to sing like that i know it doesn't make any sense and jake i will leave you with this if you want um an example of how we're living in a simulation and nothing is real the Rolling Stones just put out a new single today. What? Featuring Jimmy Page. What? Yes. No way. Yes. So I will leave you with that. Dude, nothing's real. Nothing's real. Nope. No, no, it's not. This is fake. It's all fake. Enjoy the simulation, listeners, and thanks for sticking with us. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. recording um for the i don't know what is this is this like the fifth or sixth from home podcast dude i think it is um at least at least uh we're coming up on august will be how many months in in lockdown god damn it is almost august that's crazy yeah uh honestly it's going to be the rest of the year Oh, definitely it is. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it, yeah, because it was mid-March. So by mid-August, it'll be April, May, June, July, August. Yeah, five months. That's crazy. Man, that is wild stuff. Um, I, I have a question for you. Speaking of months, and this is something I, yeah. I, I've noticed that some people can't do this, but it, it, which kind of, it kind of baffles me a little bit. If someone, t- like if you see the number for a month can you immediately identify what month it is oh yeah absolutely. okay me too i because i've met people at work who like 
have been like, well, I have to think about which month that it. Um, for me, it's like it's instantaneous. But I didn't know if that was like a thing that some people like don't um, think about months as wh- numbers. When I was a little bit younger, um, you know, it's funny. I actually, even though my birthday is in August, which is the eighth month, I actually always sort of got the eighth and ninth months mixed up. I'm like, wait a minute, is like hmm. September the ninth month? But that only lasted when I was a kid. You know, like right, um, and until now. So yeah, no, of course. I I immediately associate the number with with the month. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, well, whatever. Not much else to talk about there. But what is interesting to talk about, John, is that we both watched this uh, record-breaking Hulu movie, uh, Palm Springs, with Andy Samberg and Kristen Melody. 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 Yeah. Melody? So I ended up watching this on a whim last. Wednesday night or something. I, I think um, we watched it on the same night because I tweeted about did, it. And we yeah. didn't talk about it at all. We weren't like, oh, I'm going to watch this movie today. Or like, I, I don't even think we were like, oh, have you heard of Palm Springs? It no. was just we both ended up watching it that night. The same night, uh, which yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I really liked it. It was like, there's not many types of this movie anymore. Like, yeah. kind of a lower stakes comedy with some serious moments and like some adult themes, but that is still like enjoyable throughout. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's weird to think that this type of movie is now a rarity. Yeah. And it's, it, that's smartly written and has a well constructed and executed concept element to it. Um, yeah. I, I tweeted out that I, I said that I, it was it's the most i've enjoyed watching a movie in a while and it's the the most i've liked a comedy in i think legitimately 5 to 10 years and i that sounds like an exaggeration but if you think about the state of comedies like that it's it really is not like i can't remember now enjoying the mo- the movie watching experience of a comedy that much since like probably bridesmaids which i think came out in 2012 so i i think there's something to that in that um I think one of the appeals of seeing a comedy, a new comedy for the first time is seeing it in a theater that is relatively crowded, which as we know right now is a rarity. um, It's a danger. It doesn't doesn't happen. um, Throw that out the window. But I even think over the last five years, like there were less of these types of quality comedies where you would go and have a great theater experience. Um, So yeah, I'm not surprised that Bridesmaid was the last one because i think that's the last like true in theater really positive excited locked in audience that you had an experience with that we discount that when it comes to seeing movies but honestly some of my fondest movie going memories are centered around a packed house where everyone's excited everyone's locked in i think of when we went to go see the hangover yes i think of when we saw um, I think it was Wolf of Wall Street or um, and uh, Django Unchained on on Christmas on Christmas night, um, and I think of the, seeing the Dark Knight and um, yeah. in a, in a packed theater, and those are some of my favorite memories, and that is a big part of the enjoyment. Um, and I think going back to Palm Springs, it's it speaks to the quality of this movie that I had such a, a good reaction to it when I just watched it alone. Get get this, I watched this in my bed i was like kind of tired it was getting later i was like you know i don't feel like going to sleep yet but like i've heard this palm springs movie is good i watched this on my fucking phone jake 
Yeah. I watched wow. this entire movie on my iPhone. Damn, dude. Yeah, I, I watched it on a TV. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It is. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever done that. I've watched episodes... On my cracked iPhone screen. I used to watch episodes of South Park on my iPod. What I was going to say is that I think what another element of, of comedies, and I think we probably happened for both of us with this, is that comedy works best for me when I don't have incredibly lofty or like specific expectations mm. and with this movie i went in knowing not really much except it was like kind of high concept i knew it had some kind of groundhog day sort of concept to it right but i i didn't know anything about it and if i think back to some of the my favorite experiences of seeing comedies which includes like probably anchorman talladega nights the hangover like you mentioned bridesmaids they're all times where i kind of the thing you mentioned where it was a pretty packed house or a somewhat full theater that's definitely there but it's also like it's not like something i was anticipating like the sequel to a series like a harry potter movie yeah because i think that that kind of thing actually kind of kills comedy a little bit when you go in you know what i mean like the hangover 2 sucked (laughs) <laughs> and everyone's right. like, oh yeah, Hangover 2, it's going to be just as good, or like, and it wasn't, it was terrible. No, that, that's a really good point, and I think the other one that actually um, I look back fondly on is 21 Jump Street, the first one. Yeah. I, I, I that, was a, that was a nice little experience for a comedy. I think that was probably maybe one of the last ones I had, um, but I remember when 22 Jump Street came out, and it was like, you know, the good thing that movie did, oh, though, is it, it, it really overdid the, the, the sequel cliches and tropes um and like kind of poked fun at itself which which was cool i haven't watched that since i saw it but i I would go back and watch the first one i I did like that movie i think what it is is that when i go into a movie hoping for and expecting out loud laughing like i'm gonna laugh out loud at this movie it there's only anywhere the only place to go is down but with this movie Mm -hmm. and and i would say palm springs is like kind of it's a rom-com so it's not one of those movies that like it's not like anchorman where it sets out to be funny with every single beat right but I, it, it caught me off guard in a number of places where I was like actually laughing out loud at parts. Like, dude, the part where he is talking about all the people he's slept with and all the different versions of this day, <laughs> the, the, version where he, like, the version where he's like, I, di- I did it with your dad. And they cut back to him and the dad and the dad's like, what are we doing? Like, yes, oh my God. I, I laughed really, really fucking hard at that. I, I did too. I did too. There were multiple parts where I laughed out loud like that. But, you know, I, I, I agree. I like that this movie didn't set out to be like, uh, like you're laughing out loud all the time. And there were some like more like high concept stuff. Um, the time thing was cool. There was like themes of being like, what is life almost? If like, you know, everything's the same, like what, where's the value? It, it's sort of like checking out in a way. And I yeah. also liked that it started the movie started with Andy Samberg's character spoiler alert just already having been in this time loop for years and years or like forever basically yeah. he doesn't even know how long he's been there anymore and he's been there so long and tried everything to get out that he's just like well I've given up and I'm just going to like do these things that I do basically and and like that this is just what it is and I like that it took um his counterpart uh, to kind of break him out of that. Like, I thought that was a cool way to turn, turn this style of movie on its head. 
I totally agree. And it was, it was, uh, I heard him on the Bill Simmons podcast and he was talking about how it's like the extension of like, all right, years and years later, what are the people in these time loops doing at that point? And what I thought was cool is the way it explored, it was kind of like a parable about existential dread and like the, Mm. the, the, the mundaneness and doldrums of daily life. Cause it's like, it's an exaggerated form of that. It's literally he's living the same day over and over in his lost interest. And like to a lot of us who work a job every day and maybe things feel kind of the same and, but we get comfortable in it and we're not willing to take the risk, jump out of it. And it's like, we've carved ourselves a nice little rut, you know? So I thought that was really well done. I also thought, that um i mean andy sandberg gave a great performance but i thought kristen melody was excellent in it like i didn't even really know she was awesome she was so good she was awesome um i remember seeing her in a couple things i i think she was actually leo's wife in wolf of wall street yeah i had forgotten he, about that he met margot price uh, margot roby then or, or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> margot price shout out to uh to her um margot roby's character and then i I believe she was in an episode maybe a black mirror or of one of like these other random anthology series that i watched on like amazon or hulu or netflix or whatever so i've seen her around a couple times um but she was excellent in this she captured that kind of disaffected cynical uh vibe in a way that it, it it is really hard to walk that tightrope because a character can become a cliche and really annoying mm. very fast. And I thought she did it in a way that was like, she gave a lot of humanity to that role. And like, there are characters in movies who are like, they end up just being kind of tropes who are like, Oh, I'm the person who like, I, I don't care about love anymore. I don't care about romance. Right. Everything hurts and everyone hurts you and nothing. <laughs> and it's like, all right, like, okay. But she, like, right. You know what I mean? Like that's a total trope. And I thought that they really threaded the needle on that with her. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, I really liked it. And I, I think this will have rewatch value as well. Oh dude. Um, I would yeah. definitely watch it again. Yeah. Um, I'm, ex- I'm excited. Speaking of, speaking of movies, uh, guess what movie I saw for the first time this week? I'm going to, I'm going to try to guess first. I'm going to actually guess. Okay. It's, it's one that is like stupidly popular that I have never seen before. It is like one of the oh. most quoted movies of all time. Everyone has seen it. Everyone seems to love it. Um, I had never seen it. Oh, Finally well, saw it and loved it. Well, okay. I, my, my first guess is that maybe it was Jurassic Park. No, no, no. Still Good holding guess, out. No. Okay, okay, what was it? What was it? Princess Bride. Oh, I've never seen that either. Whoa! Oh, man, dude. This, you you would really like this movie. I know I would. Um, it is, like, you know, we obviously, so many of those quotes have seeped their way into popular culture. Um, right. You've probably heard a lot of them. But inconceivable it, it, is the one that people seem to say. He, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, uh, Igneo Montoya, blah, 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 blah. Yes, um, that's a classic. So, so many quotes. Uh, dude, the marriage quote, marriage. <laughs> I, I had never seen that scene. I only knew it from the office. Yeah. And when it came on, I literally, like, my jaw was like, 
I was like, oh my God. Oh, and it got Tara that? was so pleased at like the genuine reaction I had to this insanely well-known scene. It was like just pure like discovery where it was like, I oh my that. God, like worlds are colliding. Um, I loved it. it. It like, it kind of, speaking of movies that kind of flip things on their head, it, it sort of, it doesn't poke fun at fairy tales or whatever, but it like, um, it's aware of itself in a really clever way. I can't believe I'm like breaking down Princess Bride. Everyone, if anyone's even listening to this, they're like, oh my God, you two are pathetic. It's 2020 and you've never seen this movie. Um, you know what? Or you, you know, just saw it. I have to say though, I never have liked that take of like, you've never seen this movie. Oh, we can't be friends. It's like you... I know yeah. it's not serious and it's most people's like only avenue of joking and they think that's funny, but it's like, have you seen every fucking movie ever? Like, I never understand people with that take. It's like, there's, there's movies I've seen and like that you probably haven't seen. Like, I never understand why people are like, oh, exactly. God, oh well, my God. I, I, I think there's a certain type of movie and The Princess Bride fits the bill of one that is like popular across generations that a lot yeah, of people saw true. when they were kids that's been quoted like thousands of times like so it, i think there's a certain brand of movie that's just like come on like everyone's seen this one and it's like well i bet you haven't seen like fucking i don't like this art house film like, yeah <laughs> right, i haven't because right. like not many people have but uh, so many people have seen princess bride no, I, I get that, but there's movies like that for all of us, I think. Like for, like Jurassic, Jurassic Park's another one for you, and I'm, I could think of a bunch for me, I'm sure, if I just like looked at a list. For a lo the longest time, it was The Godfather for me. Right. Which is like, I, yeah, I just I never think, watched it somehow or other. I think you'd be surprised at how many people actually haven't seen Godfather 1 or 2. So with The Godfather, what was the moment, the like – holy shit moment I had with that. There were many of them where like you're describing the marriage right. thing. One of them was yeah. the, the, I know it was you, you broke my heart scene where he like kisses Fredo. Oh, and I had only ever known that from fucking Billy Madison. When, oh when my God. Billy says that to his like nemesis, Eric, and he kisses him and then slaps him on the face. And I was like, I, when I saw it in The Godfather, I was like, oh, whoa. And do you, do you remember that like the day after that or something, or even the night after we watched that, I turned on the TV and it was that scene in Billy Madison, literally right as I turned yes. on my TV. Oh my God. So yes. weird. Yeah. So weird. So weird. Do you find that there's a certain level of appreciation or enjoyment that is robbed from you of those scenes because you only were able to understand them as a reference point and you yes. did, it took you so long to actually see it it now is not this like actual thing anymore it has yeah. only become a cultural reference point it would be like watching the dark knight now and hearing why so serious or something you know what i mean yeah. like where it's like that's yeah. ah, just not the same like i've heard why so serious is a is a sociocultural meme like I, or I, or like star wars like yeah, yeah right i i am your father you know yes Cla like that's actually maybe the best example you know what's funny about that is with Star Wars, I watched those movies so young that I didn't even have, I don't, I couldn't even tell you if I knew about that before I saw it or not, because it was at an age where 
I wouldn't have cared or even thought about it remotely. Right. Like you know what I mean? Like I was like five. Oh, that's such a good point. I just, it was just like, I was just like, these are movies. Like these are movies you watch. Yeah. Wow. Can you still hear um, me? I just got a connection unstable thing. Oh, you cut out for a sec. Sorry. How about now? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Weird. Hope that doesn't happen during the pod. Well, look, it's uh, it's pandemic podcasting. Yeah, so it's what it is. Have to get used to it. It, um, might, it might still record, though. Actually, I wonder if it just still records it. I think it probably will. Actually, yeah. Who knows? So I'll just I'll just ignore it unless I can't like actually understand what you're saying. Um, quick update for the um, primary resource historians out there who are looking for a taste of what it's like um it is july we mentioned we're about five months into this getting to about five months um it sucks and uh <laughs> you have donald trump sending federal troops into cities to um beat up and assault people who are peacefully protesting um to disappear them really and yeah he's turning into a literal fascist dictator more and more by the day um so don't don't let anyone tell you otherwise like that that's what he is that's how it feels in the moment to people who are not watching fox news like us correct and correct um also he has finally uh now at five months into the pandemic acknowledged that masks are useful and has been willing to wear masks in public (laughs) Not only that, they're they're patriotic, Jake. Actually, right now we they can, are. We, we can't do anything without wrapping ourselves in the fucking flag. I know, dude. Oh my god. Now they're patriotic. They weren't in June. In June, they were weak. <laughs> they were for the the liberal scaremongers. Yeah. Yeah. They were. They, they were the alarmists, like Fauci. <laughs> Ex- dude. Oh my god. I get so exhausted. Uh, Man, I, I, I just wanted to touch on that because that shit has been scaring me. And I've actually been trying my best this week to stay off social media. I, not completely because, like, I, I actually don't know if that's possible anymore. Um, but, like, not just on it all the time and getting the constant feed of information. Because I've been really conscious lately just about what the like what that amount of information and outrage is is doing to all of us and doing to our brains um because it can't be good and i'm trying to learn how to balance like staying informed with um just sort of like beating myself up with constant outrage you have to maintain some kind of distance from it and i don't remember if i mentioned this on the last pod in the pre-show i don't remember exactly when we recorded it but i deleted my facebook finally speaking of being off of social media uh i'm off facebook for good and uh it just occurred to me that like you know what i don't use this i'm not interested in having this anymore i don't like what they do as a company i don't like uh really anything about facebook so yeah i'm gonna stay off it yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I'm actually really proud of you. Uh, I don't, I don't want my data to be mined. 
no, man. Well, it's just being mined from other other sources. <laughs> true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, hey, man, I, I guess that's that's the world we live in now. It's um, the price you pay. Yeah, but that good for you. I mean, that's that's great. That's great. Fuck Zuckerberg. Did you see that picture? Yes. That picture of him that went viral <laughs> with the fucking sunblock and his like surfer booty that, that he was like sticking out. Dude, he's <laughs> a fucking nerd. Yes. The only thing I can think of, and someone someone tweeted this, is that episode of Atlanta where the kid wears <laughs> he's in whiteface at the school oh, that right. uh, what's her name works at and someone tweeted that out i was like that is so spot on dude yeah it, it's a it's a truly horrifying picture they speaking of the joker there i saw someone at memed him they've put the sunscreen zuckerberg face on like the joker leaning out of the cop car <laughs> and it, it is so funny dude <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I, I, oh see, I see you adding the uh, the newsletter bit to the agenda. I probably don't have yes. much on that, so if you want to say something about it, go ahead. But I haven't had the chance to read them both in full yet, so I, no, that's okay. It's more it's more about um, the concept of this as like what music writers have to do. I'm sort of more interested in that than and like where <laughs> where the music writing uh, industry is going uh, yeah. more so than what they wrote about. Like there are good pieces. But um, it's more about that than anything. Um, cool. So, yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, NBA is coming back. Uh, wanted to note that as well because it'll probably go. They had their first set of scrimmages today. Um, right. Games on the 31st, right? Or on the 30th? Games on the 30th. Uh, Celtics come back on the 31st. I think the other games, the first first game starts on the 30th. Um, Pretty crazy. So that'll be cool, I guess. I'm just interested but, to see what it looks like. With no fans. So they actually did a really cool thing. And if you get a chance to hop on Twitter or, or see any of the, um, the, the reporters that were there, um, they, the floor, that guy, I'm pretty sure they brought the different teams like hardwoods. So like they have those set up. The oh, lighting wow. is really bright and good. It, it, it's lit. They're lit like normal arenas. And then rather than, fans it's like big video boards with like team logos on it or like they have like a digital scoreboard that like where fans would normally be so it actually looked a lot better than i thought it would huh. um i actually don't know I, I didn't get to see the uh they televised it on nba tv the actual scrimmages i didn't i don't know what the tv experience is like yet but the clips i saw on twitter like the, it actually looked good it didn't look like a drab, empty gym. Uh, it was like, oh no, they actually. There's a little production value here. Okay, that sounds really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that actually, to just seeing yeah. what that whole vibe is. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's more entertainment to numb ourselves with and um, forget that we're living in a failing democracy. But yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. I mean, oh, I'm hey, but, not wrong. That's the fucked up thing. Yeah, that's the scary part. Is like this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but we really are like it's in a the joke. But it's really not. Yeah, we 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 will laugh at it because you kind of have to. But it's like it's dark. Right. It, it weird times yeah. right now. Um, yes. but yes. hopefully we're in the 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 dying breaths of the Trump presidency. You know, it feels like he's that's not going to win. God, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it would take to vote for him at this point. I'm not really 
fully understanding how anyone could, but that, Hey, you know what? Like, it's not for me to understand, I guess. I, I just got to vote my conscience and like, but he, he's been, yeah. I mean, here, here's another time capsule soundbite for you. Uh, yeah. He has been every bit the abomination we ever imagined and worse by a lot. <laughs> I know. I know. You're right. No it's matter. Fucked up is it? You, know, you know, we're about to talk about this Kanye stuff too. And I remember back when he married the Kardashians. Uh, Kim Kardashian became part of their whole, you know, crew. Yeah. I remember us and others being like, yeah, this is going to be good for Kanye. That has turned out as poorly and as badly and probably worse than what we could have even anticipated. Yeah. Um, it, it is such a, uh, like, representation of the last four years, like, of the Trump years, of everything is like this de evolution of Kanye West. It, it's, it's fascinating and sad, and uh, I don't know. It's weird to live through. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, that's going to be a sad topic. All right, let's get to it. Let's I, do I it. know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. <laughs> 